This is an ABC podcast. Testing. One, two, three. Hello and welcome to ABC Radio National's The Pop Test, a quiz about science. I'm Andy Matthews and in the buddy cop duo that is your hosting team, I am the hard-bitten detective getting close to retirement. And I am retirement, the strangely named dog who did the biting... Alistair Tremblay Birchall, and this episode is about heating. Andy, what is heating? Ah, Alistair, heating. It's the killer jewel you don't have to count. You, you can add as much of it to your diet as you want without putting on weight. You can eat so much that your body fat just melts away along with your flesh, skin and bones. Mm, but heating is so much more than the invisible condiment. In fact, the ability to heat things up has been a hallmark of civilization ever since Prometheus first stole fire from the gods. Uh, Prometheus was, of course, tortured and had his immortal liver pecked out every day by an eagle, which, you know, seems harsh until you realise that he is ultimately responsible for fire twirlers. And to this day, heating is still one of the leading ways of getting rid of the cold. Yes, yes, much like pseudoephedrine for the common cold. Yes, although given the average temperature of the universe is minus 270 degrees Celsius, mm. I'm talking about the even more common cold cold. That's right. And and speaking of cold, it's time to find out what our guests are cold. <laughs> <laughs> our first guest is comedian and broadcaster Sammy J. Sammy, what would be on the top of your hottest 100 of heat sources? Flame grilled anything. Mm, Absolutely. Really? So ice cream? I'll take it. Yeah. Mm. Nice, uh, nice flame-grilled cup of water, please. Well, in Scotland, they'll tend to grill anything. So <laughs> I would take the Mars bar, the water, the water, which would become a pot of tea, I imagine. This mm. is the the grilled Mars bar. Mm. So it's not. This is not the, not the, the deep, deep fry. Not the That's deep the standard fry. reference. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. just the grilled, naked. On the hot plate. <laughs> and first the chocolate melts away and you're left with the nougat caramel and that mm. all sort of melts away. That's how they used to do it, you know, 100,000 years ago, you know, back in the time of earlier man. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Neanderthal Mars. And our second guest is head of the University of Melbourne Science Communication Department, Associate Professor Jenny Martin. Jenny, scientifically speaking, when you heat something up, does it chase the cold away or does the cold become the heat? All I know is when you heat something up, that uh, stuff starts jiggling. Mm. That's all I know. So I just think about heat as being like a bit of a boogie, you know, all the molecules, they start dancing around, they Getting start having Getting the party fun. started. Yeah, that's, it's all about parties and, and maybe deep fried Mars bars. I'm yep. not sure. Terrific. And our final guest is comedian Craig Quartermain. Craig, do you think the movie Con Air is a pun on air con? Please explain your reasoning. Mm. Uh, Kaya, guys, uh, I don't know if I can. I haven't understood anything that's happened in the last five minutes. <laughs> These questions, the Con Air, the first greatest Nicolas Cage performance ever. Exactly. I mean, you know, talk about a refreshing breeze um, mm. if, if we're in the aircon department. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing serves as a metaphor for the reverse cycle air conditioning process. Uh, you know, let's say the prisoners represent a gas and they are trying to escape from a confined high pressure environment and be released into a low-pressure environment and in the process they take in energy as they refuel at the deserted airfield. I'm sure that's what you were going to say, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> that actually just sounded like a really elaborate description of a fart. <laughs> that, whole, that whole process, I'm way out of my depth. And remember, like the various greenhouse gases working together to achieve the eventual heat death of the environment, you are all on the same team. 
team science. So huddle up and don't fight over who has to be methane as we attempt <laughs> to defeat the forces of ignorance. It's time to bite into the recently microwave party pie of the past and burn the skin of mystery from the mouth roof of knowledge, exposing the tender flesh of wisdom in this, the history round. Sammy, mm. what secret about human history is hidden in your mouth right now? In the form of words which will come out of my mouth, mm-hmm. in 2007, a human being on this planet felt drawn towards the aforementioned flame that was grilling burgers at a certain establishment. Mm-hmm. And he walked in and he was drawn right towards the flame. He couldn't get further because there was a counter in the way with an attendant asking what he would like to eat. And he made the order of a certain burger with certain fries in a certain value meal. And then he finished the order by uttering the words, heavy all condiments. Three words that since the dawn of time have had the magic ability Mm. to increase the amount of condiments in a burger. That man was me. (laughs) And I'm sharing that wisdom with your listeners right now. I had no idea that you could just ask for that. It's not a, it's not a question. It's an additional statement to your order. And when you say it, They include it in the order when they put it through to the kitchen and no questions are asked. You just get a burger with twice as much lettuce, twice as much cheese and twice as much tomato. This is just like a cheat code for real life. That is excellent. Unfortunately, it's not the same answer that I've got. I didn't know it was a quiz. (laughs) But, but But you know what? I'm going to give you a point for that because that is a secret that will take humanity into a very prosperous future, I believe. But the answer that I've got is the history... Uh, the secret that is hidden in your mouth is the history of the human use of fire. Scientists believe our relatively small teeth and weak jaws can be directly traced back to our ancestors' use of fire for cooking up to 1.9 million years ago. Heating up food with fire starts the process of breaking down molecules, making more nutrition available to the digestive system, and doesn't require as much chewing, which makes an oven like a mother bird regurgitating partially digested food into your open mouth. Right, But try telling that to those cowards at the Smeg Kitchen Appliance Marketing Department. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> mm. Another famous source of warmth is, of course, the sun. Ancient Greeks used burning glasses to magnify sunlight, to start fires and even cauterize wounds. But, Jen, what can't a French person do with a magnifying glass? When you say sun magnifying glass, I immediately think James Bond, Icarus, die another day. I mean, where else could you go with that, really? But then that's not so much French, okay? So then when I think French, I think mm, cheese, I think wine. I don't know how much the sun is involved. Maybe, you know, warming those grapes. But then then I was thinking about, I know somewhere in in southern France, they've got this amazing solar, I don't know what they call it, like a solar magnifier or something. Mm. There's this huge structure covered in mirrors and they chose it because it's got a really clean atmosphere and a lot of sunny days and they can get the sun to heat things up to, I don't know, something like three and a half thousand degrees, something insane. But then that's something the French can do, not Mm. what the French can't do. So my answer Mm. is I've got no idea. Can I make a suggestion of what the the French can't do with a magnifying glass? Yes. They can't not look like the detective. (laughs) (laughs) 
The correct answer is they can't melt platinum, no matter how hard they try. The father of modern chemistry, French scientist Antoine Lavoisier, had the biggest magnifying glass made at the time, so big it had to be mounted on a cart. It could create temperatures hotter than any fire, but still couldn't reach the 1,700 degrees needed to melt platinum. He was eventually successful by pumping the recently discovered gas oxygen into a flame, increasing the rate of combustion and creating the hottest man-made temperature at the time. Uh, hottest man-made temperature was then a very popular issue of FHM magazine, which at the time stood for Fahrenheit magazine. Now, Lavoisier was a proponent of what was called the caloric theory of heat, that heat was some kind of an intangible fluid that was stored in objects and that could be released and flow between them. But Craig, Mm. how could you use two horses to boil water? I'm a, my wife rides horses and uh, I'm very intimately connected to them. Mm. And I feel that there are these new kinetic pads out there that absorb energy and you can create energy from uh, hitting them. So if every horse rider, anybody involved with them just wore these chest protected pads every time they got thrown or kicked by their own horses, a good way to build up energy. I don't know if that's the actual answer, but I have seen this tech, technology out there. But um, as a horse husband who has to stand in paddocks, you know, be neglected by these horses, probably the best way to utilize two horses to create energy would be to uh, slaughter them, uh, burn their bodies, <laughs> boil some water off a pot on top of that fire and utilize the steam. Shout out to Craig's wife if she's listening. <laughs> um, that is she a- will kill me. <laughs> That is an unbelievably good answer, which you will 100% get a point for. Mm, Um, But I'm afraid the answer Uh. is much more boring. Uh, Quite literally, in 1798, English-American scientist Benjamin Thompson noticed that the drills used to bore a hole in cannons got very hot. He did an experiment where the barrel of a cannon was bored, immersed in water, using horses walking in circles to twist the cannon around. To the amazement of spectators, and this... There were spectators watching this. (laughs) The water started boiling. Johnson had proven the relationship between friction and heat, and the huge amount of heat released made people question the caloric theory. Personally, I reckon that the Melbourne Cup should get onto this. Uh, The horses are going around in circles anyway. You might as well get them to boil some water, and they could call it the Melbourne Cup of tea. (laughs) I've got a simpler suggestion. Sure. Just a piece of string that you tie to the on-off switch on the kettle and tie the other half of the horse's (laughs) bum. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, you'd have to lie down the kettle. How do you, how does yours work? Mine's a push down. I'm the Steve Jobs, you're the Wozniak, you sort it out. (laughs) It's a good idea. (laughs) The Steve Jobs of boiling water. (laughs) Using a horse. A better understanding of what heat really is came courtesy of scientist James Prescott Joule, who showed that you could convert mechanical movement into heat by measuring how much the temperature of water increased when you stir it, and concluded wherever mechanical force is expended, the exact equivalent of heat is always obtained. The first step in our modern understanding of the conservation of energy. But Sammy, as with all true science, his reasoning was partly based on religion. In particular, his belief that only God could do what? Only God could forgive the person for stealing the teaspoon they were using to stir Mm, the water. 
Sure, sure. That's a common problem in your house, is it? Very sort of Lamy's Valjean style existence <laughs> that we live, always stealing stuff from churches and seeking redemption. I thought that was candlesticks, not teaspoons. And a loaf of bread, you're right. Oh, we need to talk off air. Dude. Yeah. I've found a new friend. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you could use a candlestick to stir, stir some water. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Give it a little flavour. Yeah. Mm. Bit of wax, bit yeah. of dust. Yeah, mm, I, I miss the day when, when cutlery had this kind of value was so, you know, that when the idea of stealing the silverware was actually, you know, the idea that you could steal somebody's spoons and then go and use it to pay for, uh, I don't know, uh, massage. Mm. Yeah, legal tender. Yeah. Spoons. Yeah. spoons. Yeah. It was a sad day when that ended. It sounds like you were pining for poverty. Is, is that what you were saying? You missed, <laughs> <laughs> it is missed when spoons were worth something. <laughs> it's got a certain romanticism to it, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm afraid the correct answer was he thought that only God could destroy. He felt that if energy could disappear from a system, it defied his belief that only the creator had the power to destroy. Uh, his conclusion that energy cannot be destroyed turned out to be correct. As anyone who has listened to our first season will know, probably one of the biggest shakeups in the world of cooking happened in 1945 when engineer Percy Spencer, working on testing a more powerful magnetron, the thing that makes radio waves for radar systems, put his hand into his pocket and discovered what? Craig. An, an erect nipple? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, You're saying like the radiation would have uh, forced him to 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 grow. I mean, that would have been the, that would have been the first discovery. But uh, I guess it could I have been know. a chest pocket, right? That's a. I suppose so. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely I've, had waist nipples in my head. I, I'm not totally sure what he would have discovered. I was uh, kind of hoping this was someone else's question, if I'm honest. But uh, <laughs> magnetized nipple clamp. Maybe. It was some kind of sh- like shortcut to human arousal or, you know, excitement or something like that. Mm, sure. Well, sure. Can That's I just switch on Radio National for one day without hearing the phrase magnetised nipple clamp? Please. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm writing a letter of complaint. The answer was a melted peanut cluster bar. He was intrigued at what had caused this and tried putting an egg under his magnetron, which exploded <laughs> in his face. The next day, he used it to pop some corn and shared it with his co-workers. And a year later, the first radar range went on sale. He had discovered the microwave. In a microwave, short electromagnetic waves are generated, bouncing around inside and penetrating the food. They make the molecules in the food vibrate, which creates heat. Mm. But, Jen, what is the hottest thing humanity has ever made? Uh, depending on who you ask, Keanu Reeves, obviously. But sure. Humanity sure. didn't make him. So then I thought supernova, you know, when a star explodes at the end of its life mm. and in the core, seriously, seriously hot, I don't know, a trillion degrees or something, but humanity didn't make them either. So I think Imagine if Keanu Reeves exploded, though. Mm. Then we'd really be getting somewhere. In a supernova. In a supernova, sure. Mm. Could happen. Interesting. No, I think you might be thinking of uh, those good folk at the CERN uh, Large Hadron Collider because they're trying to recreate what the atmosphere, you know, what the world looked like, or not the world, what the universe looked like moments after the Big Bang. And so they make these amazing plasma kind of thingies. Mm. And I know that that is really, really hot. I don't know how hot, some ridiculous, maybe, actually maybe it's a supernova is in billions of degrees and this is trillions of degrees, I think. But man, you know, we made that. We didn't make Keanu Reeves or or supernova. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were completely correct. Uh, 
that the answer was a quark-gluon plasma created by the Large Hadron Collider by smashing lead ions together and momentarily creating a heat of around 5.5 trillion degrees Celsius. The quark-gluon plasma is so hot, quarks and gluons can't hold together to form atomic nuclei, as was the case in the first few moments of the Big Bang. Lucky things cooled down before we came along. That's all I can say. Oh, yeah, we'd all be going everywhere like you do, like when you're leaving the beach and you go across the car park. Mm. All life would just be, oh, ah, oh, oh, mm. oh, ah. And at the end of round one, team science is on six points, which means Woo-hoo. it's still anybody's game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Come on, Craig. Come champions. on, Jim. We can do this. We are champions. RN online. The dollar. The pop test. And now on to round two. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but we're happy to pretend that our guests do by asking them to give us their best guess, and then we will correct them because we have all the answers. This round is called How Do Whales Work? So, Jen, what, in your opinion, is the difference between heat, thermal energy and temperature? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I'm not a physicist, so I really have no idea (laughs) of the definitions, but I was thinking about it. I think it comes down to a cup of tea, okay? Yes. I've got my cup of tea... My cup of tea can lose heat or gain heat, but it doesn't really have heat, right? Mm. So I think heat is something about changing in temperature, whereas temperature is an absolute measure because I can say, you know, my tea is X number of degrees Celsius. So I can measure it in degrees and usually by the time I remember to drink it, it doesn't have enough degrees. It's gone cold. But thermal energy, I don't know, that must be going back to what I said before. It's about molecules kind of jiggling around and dancing and stuff, (laughs) isn't it? I I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) You are absolutely right. The thermal energy of an object is the kinetic energy of all the molecules jiggling around in that object. Heat is the movement of thermal energy within or between objects because of a difference in temperature. And temperature is a measure of the average kinetic energy of all the molecules in an object. So if two objects of different sizes have the same temperature, the bigger object will have more thermal energy. But that also means that when you're running a bath and it's too hot, by adding cold water, you could still be increasing the total thermal energy of the bath and, in fact, adding heat even as the temperature decreases. Mind blown. Mm. See, this kind of stuff is why people hate science. That's why I don't have baths in cups of tea. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. I guess unless you were putting water in there that was absolute zero... You know what? You're absolutely right. You wouldn't be adding any energy. But hang on. Sorry. (laughs) Because my kids every night... Have baths and I'm put. It's too hot. You turn the cold tap on. Mm. It becomes a more comfortable bath. Mm. Are you telling me that's not the case? And I'm actually boiling them. <laughs> I, I'm saying that you Just are like a frog. Yeah. You are actually adding heat to the bath. Yes, but and but, if but, you tell your children anything otherwise, you're lying to them <laughs> and raising them in a in a you know an atmosphere of ignorance. Well, uh, you know, um, it takes one to know one. <laughs> so hang on, hang on. So you're adding heat, but you're what? not increasing the temperature. That's correct? right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You're adding thermal. That's all energy? good. Oh, good. Okay. So yep. it's, it's cooler, but you've added heat. Well, I will tell uh, my daughters, f- Froggy and Froggette, that everything is okay. <laughs> and now, Sammy, how, according to your beliefs, does a reverse cycle air conditioner work? It works using coolant mm. and coolant. Um, just mushes all around in the pipes there yeah, and responds to the air conditioner remote control mm. and is like, ooh, I'll give you what you want. <laughs> and, so, and so this coolant also creates heat? 
if required, but I would caution that when you buy a reverse cycle air conditioner, as I know from lived experience, it's cheaper to only get the cooler, not the re- not the heater and the cooler option. And yeah. it is also very quick to regret that decision, mm-hmm. uh, having saved a pretty penny and then not having the option of heat in winter. It's probably because you got you just got the coolant, you didn't get the heatant. <laughs> you know, that's probably extra for the heatant. Um, <laughs> No, unfortunately. I mean, well, look, I actually- you I'll were, stand by this. No, no, no. You still had a lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that that that, that you're working out is brilliant. Yep. And the question uh, was, what does he believe? So, yeah, the, yeah, so I, it's correct. Thank That's you, what Jen. he believes. Thank you. You know what? I, you we respect everybody's yeah. beliefs you're right. on this podcast. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> beliefs. All right. Correct. Yep. 10 points. <laughs> the answer that I've gotten, mm-hmm. and I guess this is the answer on what your belief is. I imagine um, so. So this is what I believe your belief is. Reverse cycle systems don't generate thermal energy, but they do move heat from one place to another. This allows them to be up to 600% efficient, able to add six times as much thermal energy to a space as they use in electrical energy. To do this, they pump a refrigerant between the inside and the outside. When the refrigerant is compressed, it absorbs heat, and when it expands, it releases that heat. Although, if you're asking me how they work in any car I've ever owned, the answer is by making the car smell like burnt pubes <laughs> and then doing nothing else. Mm. And finally, Craig, mm. what, in your reckoning, is the highest temperature? Well, I'm going to take advantage of the uh, play on words we've got here. So my reckoning, the highest temperature, I mean, the one that mattered was 40 degrees because that meant we get to go home school. <laughs> <laughs> after um, that why even bother counting right yeah exactly i mean it, it got to 52 in marble bar once they're still talking about that so maybe maybe that is it 52 degrees i reckon that's probably the highest <laughs> no i i remember a day when it got to uh 40 degrees while i was at school but it didn't tick over 40 degrees until after i was waiting for the bus <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> going home anyway <laughs> And I remember robbed. just you were yeah, robbed. being really angry at the universe. Uh, Craig, great answer. Uh, but the correct answer is absolute hot. The opposite of absolute zero. It's the hottest something can theoretically be. Called the Planck temperature, it can't be passed because conventional physics breaks down at this point. Above 100 million, 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 million degrees, theory predicts that gravity and the other three fundamental forces of the universe, electromagnetism and the strong and weak nuclear forces, become a single unified force. It's thought this temperature occurred in the tiniest fraction of a second after the Big Bang. Understanding what this means is one of the possible paths to a theory of everything. And at the end of that round, team science is on 28 points, which means that you can still win. And finally, it's time for a speed round to take us to the end of the show. But because it's taking us in a particular direction, we call it a velocity round. So the first portable electric heater was developed based on which other appliance? Uh, Surely we're talking Edison, right? Surely we're talking light bulb. You are absolutely correct. Yes, the light bulb built by Thomas Edison, the heater basically had several elongated incandescent bulbs that generated both heat and light. What might you achieve by stirring your tea at 28,000 RPM? Craig. Take off. <laughs> Jeez, I hadn't thought about that, but you probably would achieve lift. 28,000 reefs, come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the answer that we've got is you can heat it up. 
While stirring tea slowly can help it cool down slightly quicker by bringing more hot fluid in contact with the air, very fast blenders can actually boil water by something called viscous heating from the friction between moving water molecules. Uh, what is warmer, positive temperatures or negative temperatures? Craig. It doesn't matter because science is weird and it's all hot, whatever you said earlier. <laughs> Surely that's a trick question, right? Mm, absolutely. Are we and talking Kelvin? That's why I gave it your cancer. <laughs> <laughs> are we talking Kelvin and it's we the opposite of what we think it should be? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes, if we're talking in the Kelvin scale of absolute temperature, negative temperatures are actually warmer but can only be achieved in strange isolated systems. <laughs> and, and negative zero is then the highest temperature. Yeah. What is the most ironic source of heat? I mean, a sick burn. Uh, <laughs> very close. The Yeah, really great yeah, answer, Sammy. Yeah. yeah, good one. Real smart. Uh, come at me with your facts next time, well, don't you? Well, the answer I've got is freezing. Uh, heat is given off when water freezes. When matter changes state, it can be endothermic, take in energy, or exothermic, give off energy. Uh, now, what freezes faster, hot water or very hot water? The one that I'm not thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> very hot water? To be fair, correct. that could be the correct answer to every question on yeah. this show. Yeah. <laughs> very hot water? Uh, you are absolutely correct, Craig. Water at 100 degrees Celsius can freeze before water warmer than 60 degrees because boiling water loses so much energy from evaporation, it can quickly mm. cool to below the oh. temperature of the water that started out just warm and therefore freeze quicker. Uh, which brings us to the end of the show. And Team Science, you are on 32 points, which means you win. Congratulations. A big thank you to our guests, Sammy, Jen and Craig. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, hugging is wrestling where both competitors win. Goodbye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.